Well, it is good to have Melinda and Andrew back with us tonight. If you would take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read the verse eight verses, and you might say, you've preached in this passage several times before, I have, but this is a brand new message. I mean, it's not new, but it's just new for me, that's all. There's nothing new under the sun, you know. But anyway, Acts chapter 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, till the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Being assembled together with them, commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So the title of the message tonight is, Privilege to Labor with God Internationally internationally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that is ours to labor together with you in getting the gospel out around the world. We pray as we look at this tonight that we'd be encouraged, strengthened, and challenged anew as to our responsibility and privilege we have to participate in this great endeavor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, one of the attractions of people to a media ministry or the mega church group is being able to participate in a ministry, quote unquote, on an international scale. You know, that, that seems to be something really impressive to a lot of people that really attracts a lot of people. Many people are impressed with volume, you know, with quantity and numbers and so on and so forth. Many people were impressed by internationally known preachers. They said, look, wow, this guy's an internationally known preacher. Well, that doesn't say he can preach. It just says, means he's known internationally. <laughs> really, that's about all that is. But anyway, you know, that's not a biblical measure of a man's faithfulness, really. I mean, you know, I, I guess you could say I'm an internationally known preacher. I've preached in three foreign countries. So what? You know, I preached in Canada. I preached in... in um, uh, Ukraine, actually in 2007, and I've preached in Taiwan in 2018, but I'm not an internationally known preacher. Anyway, uh, you know, John the Baptist was declared by Jesus to be the greatest man born to woman, yet he never left Judea. Preached six months, got his head cut off. Um, Jesus pretty much confined himself to Israel. You know, we know he was taken to Egypt as a baby. And one occasion, at least one occasion, he went to Tyre and Sidon. So he went outside the borders, the actual borders of Israel. But that's the, I think that's the only time, according to Matthew chapter 15. But Jesus said to the disciples in John 14, 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
He that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. You see, Jesus' purpose on earth was to build his church so that they could take the gospel into all the world. His good news into all the world. That was his purpose. His purpose wasn't to be known all over the world while he was here on earth. His purpose was to train his disciples to take the gospel into all the world. And, and of course, this evangelistic enterprise of taking gospel into all the world is God-ordained. It's of the Lord. And we have the privilege to participate in that. You know, though we're a small church, we really have an international ministry. You may not ever think that way about our church, but we do. I mean, we have, we have a missionary in Taiwan. We have one in Greenland. We have one in, in Russia. We have one in Portugal. We have one in India. Um, we have one in, in um, Ohio, and we have one in Pennsylvania. And we have one in Florida. In Florida. Um, so we have, you know, a missionary in, what, four foreign countries, one, two, three, four, and several here in the States. But anyway, if we think about this, this uh, ministry, this evangelistic enterprise that is of God, it originated, we see it first of all in this passage, it originated with the triune God. In other words, every part or person of the Godhead is involved in this, uh, this, uh, uh, this, this enterprise. In verse 1 it says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, on the day which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Then verse 4 says, Being assembled together with them, commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So Jesus began to do and teach, and then he through the Holy Ghost gave commandments, there's the second and third part person of the Trinity. And then in verse 4, he says, The promise of the Father, which is the Holy Ghost, they were to wait for. And we see this throughout the Scriptures, this idea that the evangelistic enterprise of taking the gospel into all the world, his church is taking the gospel into all the world, it originated with God. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21, 1 Peter 1, verse 17 says, And if you call on the Father, without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. So there's the Father. For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of lamb without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world was manifest in these times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. You know, Revelation 5 talks about this, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3, when, in writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 3, in uh, verses 14 and following, the Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by the, his spirit in the inner man. Uh, you know, the Bible says in John 3, 16, 17, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent the Son. For God sent not the Son of the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. You see, from the beginning of time, God, and if you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the word God there refers to us. For example, Genesis 1.26, And God said, Let us make man in our image. The word God is a plural form of Elohim, and it speaks of the Trinity. See, God from the very, very beginning has been involved in this relationship between God and men. And, and, of course, getting the gospel out is how we bring men into the relationship with God. So this, this, this gospel... This evangelistic enterprise that God has given us to be participants of, it originated with the triune God. <coughs> Secondly, we see here the method exemplified by the Son. Again in verses 1 and 2. The former treatise have I made oath the office that all Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he has chosen. So Jesus exemplified and taught for us the method of getting the gospel into all the world. You know, Jesus did not appear on the scene as a faith healer or some great miracle worker. That wasn't the emphasis of his ministry here on earth. That was not his purpose. Luke Chapter 19, verse 10, gives us his purpose in a nutshell. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come just to heal people. He didn't come to, 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 to do miracles, although he did all those things, proving he was the Son of God, whom he said he was. But that really wasn't his, 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 his primary purpose in coming. His primary com- purpose in coming was to redeem mankind unto himself. Again, John 3.16, for God sent not his son, verse 17 says, for God sent not his son of the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So that was his purpose in coming. And he came on the scene with demonstrating to us the method whereby this is to be done. Of course, it starts with John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Speaking of John the Baptist, says he, he came in saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, John was, was a man sent from God with a message from God, and Jesus confirmed John's message by submitting to John's baptism. He was really, in essence, saying, this, What this man says is of God. And, of course, John declares in the Gospel of John that he was a man sent from God. And so Jesus, Jesus uh, confirmed that. You know, therefore, if a message preached is not John-like, if we vary from the message John the Baptist preached, it is not God-ordained. It's not God-ordained. Maybe a variation of it or from it. In fact, Jesus, in John, and then in Matthew 4, verse 17, it says of Jesus, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John said. Same thing. 
In Matthew chapter 5, chapters 5 through 7, he, he's teaching the disciples the doctrines of the kingdom of God and things that, and, and, or we might say, things that accompany salvation, as Hebrews chapter 6 tells us. Uh, in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, it says, And he said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of this thing. See, this is the method that he practiced and taught his disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So there's two, really two things here in, this, in, in fulfilling the Great Commission is that we go, therefore, and teach all nations and baptizing them. You baptize them. Baptism follows salvation. So we're to teach them the doctrines of salvation. You need to repent and believe on Christ. And then we're to teach them things concerning the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You're to build your life on the rock, Christ Jesus. Not on sinking sand. Don't follow the things of the world. It's basically the idea there. See, this is the method he practiced and taught his disciples. You know, Jesus... Miracles did not save anyone. Did you ever think about the fact that some of the people that maybe got healed didn't get saved? You say, really? Well, go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. In verse 12. Luke 17, verse 12. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You know, a leper cannot dwell or mingle with people. He's forbidden under the law. He has to separate himself. That's why they stood afar off, because it is very contagious. And, of course, they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, verse 14, he said to them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Notice this, Arise, go thy way, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Now, the faith healers of the modern time will tell you that you have to have faith to get healed. But that's not demonstrated in the scriptures. If you have to have faith to be healed, then why didn't the Apostle Paul get healed? Did he have not faith? And he asked the Lord three times to be healed, and he was not. It wasn't because he didn't have faith. It's because it wasn't God's will. But here we see this man. You know, Jesus said there were ten healed. But there's only one that returned to give God the glory. There's only one that came and fell down and submitted himself at Jesus' feet and, and worshipped him as Lord and Savior. Only one. 
You see, he cleansed ten. But see, the, the ten, the nine, didn't repent. They were cleansed. And so, the model, the method we see here is the preaching of the word of God. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is hand. That's the message. God hasn't changed it. Uh, you know, Paul, in the book of Acts, in chapter 20, and verse 21, <clears throat> is still saying, Acts chapter 20, and verse 21, verse 20 and 21, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there has to be some understanding of who Jesus Christ is, that he is not just a man, he's God in the flesh, and, and he's the, uh, the, the one who can save us from our sins. And there has to be a willingness to submit. That's really repentance is a, is a change of mind that produces a change of the will or a change of action. Now, some would argue that that's works. No, repentance is the change of mind. The fruit of repentance is a change of action, a change of the will. It's the fruit of it. And even John the Baptist said to the Pharisees, you know, who told you to come to be baptized? Show me, therefore, works meet or fit. In other words, if you truly repented, meet for repentance. If you have repented, it is going to show or be demonstrated in your life by change of heart. And so, this was the method that God gave, that the Lord gave to the disciples. He taught them uh, until the day he was taken up. But don't you notice the third thing? We see that they were empowered by the promise of the Father. And we are empowered by the promise of the Father. In uh, verse 3, it says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, being assembled together with them, commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And then verse 28 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So as we think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as it's called here, the baptism of the Holy Spirit here, it's really being endued with power. It's being empowered. It's not being placed into the body of Christ. It's just being empowered to do the work of God. And again, I go back to John chapter 14 and verse 12, where Jesus said, to the disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, Jesus, being that he was God manifest in the flesh, did many miracles. I mean, he healed the sick, he made the blind to see, he made the lame to walk, he cleansed the lepers, he raised the dead, he calmed the sea, and he even forgave sin. Wow. But think about it. If he was God or is God, why do we consider that such a great feat? If he's God. And has dominion and sovereignty over all his creation. We would expect that God could do such things. We would say, sure, that's great works. You know, it clearly just demonstrates the power of God. 
But, you know, that's okay. God can do that. Sure, we expect God can do that. But, you know, though he was God in the flesh, there's no record he ever had the gift of another language. He was never afraid and denied his father and then later was as bold as a lion in the face of his enemies and declared to them that clearly exposing them of their wicked sin and publicly doing it condemning that, by condemning the Lord, their Christ, the Messiah of God. You know, he was never given the opportunity to preach to thousands on the day of Pentecost. To Jews from all over the world. And, 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 you know, and, and Jews that spoke different languages. And every one of them Jews heard the gospel in his own language. And 3,000 saved and baptized in one day. That never happened during the ministry of the God-man on earth. He was never put in the common prison and had the angel of the Lord open the prison doors at night and tell him to go into the temple and preach about the words of this life. Which happened in Acts chapter 5 to the disciples. He was never arrested by Herod, put in chains, sleeping between two guards, and had the angel of the Lord set him free. You know, these things that I'm talking about were so unusual, so over the top and unusual, that even the Sanhedrin were like, wait a minute, wow. Did they not say in Acts chapter 4? In verses 13 and 14, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, they, they marveled. They couldn't believe it. They were like, wait a minute. These guys were fishermen. They're not educated. They're not Bible scholars and they're preaching the Bible. They're telling us about the the Messiah was become and how he was prophesied and all these things. The things that we're supposed to know, they're telling us about. You know, these are the same guys that were afraid to be identified with Jesus and forsook him in the garden and fled. And Peter is standing by the fire warming himself and denies the Lord three times. Why? Because he's afraid. And now he's standing before them and instructing them and challenging them concerning the truths of Jesus Christ without fear. In fact, they're willing to suffer the hardships, beatings for his namesake. You see, when he said, you will be in, you will be, receive power, that's strength. Might. They were empowered. You know, Jesus never took the gospel into all the world. But in their lifetime, in the apostles' lifetime, the gospel had gone to Africa, Ethiopia, as far east possibly as India. It's believed that Thomas went to India. And as far north as the British Isles. 
all thanks to Roman roads. You know, there was, there was, there was travel. And, of course, because of the military, many of those, many of those uh, military men were brought into the areas where the disciples were, and that gospel was taken to all these places. You see, when Jesus says to his disciples, greater work shall ye do than these, than what I have done. It was because they were empowered with the Spirit of God. They had the Spirit of God dwelling within them, and they had the power to do the things that normally they wouldn't be able to do. The things that before they were afraid to do. You know, even in Acts chapter 1, uh, 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 in, in uh, verse uh, uh, 12, it says, Then they returned on Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. When they come in an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotus and Judas the brother of James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brethren. So, you know, they, they, were, they didn't do anything. They did what he said. They waited. Because the truth is, they were fearful until they were empowered. You know, when a person is truly born again and receives the Spirit of God, there's a power that's available that will, will enable you to do things that you thought you would never do. You see, this privilege to labor with God, is, this, this, to participate with Him, is given to us by the power of God Himself. And then I want you to notice a fourth thing. This God-ordained enterprise encompasses the whole world. Notice verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Now, Notice it says, after that, the Holy Ghost. Of course, the Holy Ghost is our enabling. He's the one that is, uh, power, empowers us. And it says, ye shall be witnesses. Now, that word witness is translated witness 29 times, martyr three times, and record three to- twice. It refers to a legal witness, one who goes on record. One who testifies for another. So, so the idea is like you, you picture yourself if you're in court and you're going to go on record as testifying on behalf of the accused, let's say, or maybe against the accused. You're going to go on record. It's a legal witness. You're willing to put your, your, your testimony, your life on the line for what you have seen or experienced. And these disciples bore witness. They were willing to put their lives on the line to testify for the things that they had seen and heard. They were willing to go on record concerning and witness to the salvation that they had in Christ. You see, we are to bear witness of the salvation 
that we have in Christ. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is when he called Peter and Andrew and James and John. And of course, a note here that I would make, fishing in the Bible times has no comparison to modern fishing. Now, modern fishing is deception by design. It's a bait and hook. And you, you try and deceive the fish into biting your hook so you can catch him. But see, biblical fishing is described for us in Luke chapter 5, verse 6. says, when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes. In other words, they cast out the net at Jesus' word, and they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. That word enclosed there means to hem in. You know, when you, when you witness to somebody, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get them to cut to a place where they realize the truth and receive it. You're trying to hem them in. You're trying to dispute their arguments concerning their errors. You know, Paul went into the, the synagogues and he disputed with them daily. Challenging them concerning the truth. You know, he went to, the, to Athens and he, and he disputed with the Epicureans and all the philosophers and, 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 and you know, about you know, all the gods they served. And he said, there's one God that created heaven and the earth. He disputed with them. He tried to get, convince them of the truth of God, to hem them in. And then there's another word we need to notice here is the word both in verse 8. You shall receive power at the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Now he's telling this to the church at Jerusalem, which according to verse um, 13, 14, 15, numbered 120 at this point. He's telling this to them. They're to take the gospel both. The word both means not only but also. You know, dictionary.com describes it as one and the other or as here the other. So, so it's not just, it's talking about, you know, you know, not just one place, not just Jerusalem, but all these places. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. We might say it let's look like this way. Rollsville, Wake County, North Carolina, the United States, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Any other country in the world. We have a responsibility both or in all of these places to take the gospel. Now, you say, how can we do that? Well, as we read on the book of Acts, it's defined for us. It's made plain for us. Uh, you know, they were told to do this, and of course they stayed at Jerusalem for a time, but in Acts chapter, and persecution begins to come. In Acts chapter 8, the church is scattered. In verse 4, it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ unto them. So the Samaritans believed there was a church started in Samaria. Uh, and you continue on. Uh, of course, in chapter 9, Paul is, uh, well, in chapter 8, you have the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip preaches the gospel to him, baptizing him. He continues on to Ethiopia. Um, Paul is saved. Then Peter begins to travel to these other places. He goes to Joppa. 
Uh, and at Joppa, you know, he preaches the gospel as people saved there. Church started there. Then Cornelius sends for him, and the first Gentiles are saved. Um, and then in chapter 11, they that went, were scattered from Jerusalem went as far as Antioch preaching the gospel. These were not pastors. These were not evangelists. They weren't missionaries. These were the people of the church, the members of the church. They had been scattered, driven out of Jerusalem. And wherever they went, they, they, they told others, they witnessed to others, and people got saved. And, and so there was a group at Antioch, and the church of Jerusalem sends Barnabas, who is a pastor, to establish the church. And he became the first pastor. Acts chapter 11 tells us that. And of course, uh, verse, verse 23 says, Who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. He was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added to the Lord. And of course, it's then he sends for, for Tarsus to Sarsus to get, bring Saul or Paul and, and they minister together there in Antioch. And then in chapter 13, the first evangelists. We call missionaries. The really biblical terminology is evangelists are sent out with the support of the church. You know, these were these were men who were on the pastoral staff at the church in Antioch, and they're being sent out by the church. Acts chapter thirteen, verse one says, "Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, it's called Niger." And Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, by the way, that Niger is a black man, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. So here you have their, their, who I believe Barnabas to be their founding pastor, if you will. And Saul, who is probably the second man on staff, so the best of them are now being sent out under the direction of the Holy Spirit and the church to go to other portions of the world and take the gospel, to do the same thing that Jesus taught his disciples to do, to preach, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And of course, you know, we believe that they were sent out of the church with the support of the church. And of course, the, some of the churches they started also supported them. We know this from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is, I believe, the pattern we see in the scriptures uh, for the support of missionaries. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we do wit you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded on the riches of their liberality. For their, to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift, this is a faith-promised gift, and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us. By the will of God. So these, this church, at, and it's believed to be the church at Philippi, the one in particular. In fact, if you read the Philippians, they're, they're named and said, spoken of them, Philippi, communicating with the Apostle Paul and his ministry by giving. And so this is a church we believe is speaking of, and they, they took upon them the fellowship of ministering saints. You know, to fellowship means you join together in laboring. 
know, every missionary back there, we are in fellowship. We're, we are joined together in laboring for the gospel. Taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the places that you and I would never go, yet we do, by our giving, by our prayers for them. And so, you know, and of course, this was under the direction of the Lord. It says they first gave them their own selves to the Lord. What are Philippians chapter 4? I'm going to notice something here in Philippians chapter 4 concerning this giving. Philippians 4, verse 14 says, Notwithstanding, ye have dealt well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. So they sent more than once. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You see, this is, this, is, this is God's method of getting the gospel into all the world. And it says it's a, it's a sacrifice that's an odor of a sweet smell. It's something pleasant or pleasing to our Heavenly Father. It's well-pleasing to him. You see, this is, and, and he is glorified. Notice in, in uh, uh, verse nineteen twenty. But my God shall supply all you need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, we, are, we glorify God by our giving to faith promise. We are doing that which is well-pleasing. It's acceptable. It's well-pleasing. It's like an odor of a sweet smell. You know, sometimes, sometimes I'll walk in the house and there's this pleasant smell that I don't smell every day, you know. Well, as my wife has lit a candle that puts off a sweet odor. Now, there have been some candles that didn't smell so well. But, you know, but, but, you know, you walk in and there's this pleasant smell. Something that, that's pleasing. And this is one of those things that's pleasing to God. You see, this is God's work. And you and I are privileged to participate. Now, it is a international. It's worldwide. Oh, you know, people would say, oh, you're just a little church. You know, you don't make much difference. You realize every soul that gets saved in Homestead, Florida, you have part in. Every soul that gets saved in India through the press ministry, you have part in. Every soul that gets saved in Greenland, you have part in. Or Russia or Portugal. Or Pennsylvania. Wherever it may be. One of our missionaries are. You see, this is, this is God's work. This is God's method. And by our willingness to participate, we can see God magnified. And we can be empowered to do above that which we thought was possible.
You know, faith promise is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. And God desires for you and I to act in faith in laboring together with him to take the gospel both into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. It is a, we ought to count it a privilege to labor with God around the world through our faith promise giving. May God help us to see the need and to see the importance and the responsibility and privilege that is ours to participate in this worldwide endeavor in getting the gospel out both here and around the world. Let's pray.